Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Let's have all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. Hello and welcome to another episode of Something Rhymes With Purple with uh, me, Susie Dent, and my co-host... Charles Brandreth. Happy St. Patrick's Day. If you're listening to this on Tuesday the 17th of March, it is St. Patrick's Day. Not just here, but all over the world. If you're listening at a later date, I hope you enjoyed St. Patrick's Day. And if you have eyes, maybe they're Irish eyes, and perhaps today they're smiling. Oh, Jazz, you know what? It's a special day for us too. Is it? Because this is our 50th episode. 50 podcasts with yeah, you, Susie. 50 not out. Well, that's lovely. So familiarity doesn't breed contempt. Well, we may be out after this because my Irish accent's coming up. Do we know who St. Patrick was? He's the patron saint of Ireland. We celebrate his day all over the world. In London, there is now a St. Patrick's Day parade. I know to my cost because last year, St. Patrick's Day fell on a Sunday. And it was a Sunday when I was hosting a wonderful event that took place at the Theatre Royal Haymarket in London, where the great Dame Judi Dench came to the theatre to have a conversation with me and to perform in a show that has, in fact, since grown and developed and, in fact, is about to open on the 20th of this month at the Bridge Theatre in London. It's a celebration of Dame Judi Dench, her life, her career. She is the most amazing phenomenon you can imagine. 85 You know, 85 is the new 45, as far as she's concerned. She's just wonderful. But last St. Patrick's Day, we were due to do this at the Theatre Royal. And Judy Dench arrived in London by car and found that West End had been closed off. So she couldn't get anywhere near the theatre. So from the car she was in, she texted me to say, they're dropping me off somewhere in Soho. Can you meet me? Soho. Soho. So, Soho, I set off for Soho. Anyway, links to the etymology of Soho because it used to be a hunting cry. Oh. Yes, a hunting field behind Soho. Yeah, Soho. Anyway, carry on. Well, that's interesting. We've already learned something. So, in Soho, I found myself literally outside a strip club. As Judy Dench's car came along, I thought this is the most inappropriate place to be meeting Judy Dench outside a strip club. Then I remembered she had actually been in a film about the Windmill Theatre. Mm. We never closed. Do you remember that Windmill Theatre where they did strip shows for many years? Oh, right, During no. the Second World War, they never closed and the artists never clothed. Anyway, mm. uh, that's near where we stopped. So I thought, well, I suppose that's all right. But literally, it was raining and then hailstones. So this lady, this great distinguished dame, gets out of her car, aged 84. I'm there with a tattered umbrella saying, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, you're outside a strip club and hailstones are pouring. And she says, oh, what fun. (laughs) And we then walked through Soho. Every other person stopped her for a selfie. She agreed to every selfie. She fell about laughing. She thought it was the most hilarious thing you could imagine. Isn't that the she, attitude she to have? She is totally amazing. She is I totally... lived in Soho for a very long time. I think it's one of the most wonderful places uh, Where did you ever. live? I lived on Broadwick Street, on the corner of Broadwick and Berwick Street. So I overlooked the market. 
And that really is very near where all these sort of sleazy places were. Well, yeah, they. I mean, maybe they aren't anymore. There were, no, I mean, so is. Well, it's always been an amazing place. It's becoming a little bit gentrified, oh. which is not to everyone's taste. Uh, I remember my mum being a little bit worried when I moved in there because of the associations with Soho. But actually, I felt safer than I probably ever felt anywhere. I, I'm right in thinking there are still a lot of strip clubs there. Um, I, mean, yeah, I feel that I, of course, there's fantastic places, Raymond's Review Bar, and you know, yeah, but that was a sort of. Strip but it probably club. was now, but now it's more kind of drag, and um, ah. you know, it's great. They have great shows there. And because, as you know, I, I know everybody. I first went to Raymond's Review Bar with Paul Raymond. He yes. was an unusual person. Mm-hmm. He was the first. His was the first Rolls Royce I'd ever sat in. He offered me a lift. We did a radio program, and I met him. This is the 1970s. And he offered me a lift in his Rolls Royce. This was uh, around the time that Richard Branson gave you the two-finger uh, salute no, from his Rolls. No. Oh, no, OK. I've that just remembered many, that story. That many, came many years later. <laughs> OK. Um, but this, he ran a lot of strip clubs and he had sort of magazines uh, with naked people in them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he owned... His fortune was made by owning a lot of property in Soho. But what you're telling us is that Soho has changed. There may still be strip clubs there. Yeah, possibly, um, yeah. But there's everything there. There's wonderful restaurants. There's a lovely church there. Yes. Fun. Soho Square has got two beautiful churches, an old French Amazing church churches. and a remarkable Catholic church, I think. And it's, it's just beautiful around there. I should, I should know. Well, never mind that. We're no. moving out of Soho. We're moving yes. to the Emerald Isle of Ireland. We are. And, Our Irish um, Isles are smiling. Do you have Irish relatives? I don't. I'm often asked if I do because I have blue eyes and dark hair. Um, but as far as I know, And you're wearing I green. Don't. Today. And I'm wearing green in, in honour of St Patrick's Day. I love. I mean, I've, one of my f- best, most memorable holidays was going to the west coast of Ireland in Connemara. The sort of wild landscape of Connemara. It's just like a lunar landscape. It's absolutely beautiful. I love Dublin. Um, I haven't travelled enough. I need to travel some more. You do. Mm. I love all of Ireland. I love Northern Ireland, Belfast. Oh, Belfast is beautiful. Absolutely. I went there for the first time last year. If you go to Belfast and not been before, do go to the old Belfast City Library. It's ah, one of the oldest and most this. interesting yeah, libraries I've ever been to. I go to Dublin a lot because I'm president of the Oscar Wilde Society. Mm. And Oscar Wilde, of course, was born and brought up in Dublin. And I go down to Cork. My wife's family comes from Cork. And most of her great aunties have now passed away. She had a lot of great aunties who were nuns. Mm-hmm. So they don't have descendants. Mm-hmm. So the family has rather disappeared. Uh, okay. yeah. But... Ireland has contributed to our language. Some of the greatest writers from the British Isles, I mentioned Oscar Wilde, some of the wittiest writers, some of the most brilliant writers. You think of James Joyce, who was Irish, Samuel Beckett, who went to live in France and wrote in French, but he, of course, was Irish, went, incidentally, Samuel Beckett, to the same school as Oscar Wilde. They were both uh, Irish, came from Protestant families. Uh, Richard Brinsley Sheridan, perhaps one of the five wittiest playwrights ever to emerge from the British Isles, came from Ireland. So it's given us language and literature. Has it given us individual words, phrases? Yes, it has. I mean, most of us will know the sort of most obvious ones, like Banshee or Shamrock. They have their origins in Irish. What is a Banshee? Um, A supernatural being supposed... This is from the OEDs. This is historical... A dictionary. Supernatural being supposed by the peasantry of Ireland and the Scottish Highlands to wail under the windows of the house where one of the inmates is about to die. Certain families of rank were reputed to have a special family spirit of this kind. It's a bit like a, is it a will of the wisp? What else is it? If you see it, you're likely to die. A harbinger of death. 
The various various sprites and mischievous. I don't know. Somebody being. sneezing, wheezing, and getting very hot on the underground. <laughs> so the oldest borrowing we think from Irish into English is um, the word mind. So we get the word mind. Oh, from forgive me. These the Irish. I'm so sorry. These are words that were Irish. There's an Irish language. Maybe we should actually start with the Irish language. Okay. So banshee is an Irish language word. It's not just a word in English used in Ireland that we've adopted. No. Oh, Explain no. to us about the Irish language. So these language. came over to us from the Irish language. And some of them are very unlikely. And you you will know some of them, but I, I'm guessing that you may not know that they come from... Can I ask you something, first of all? You yes. may not know the answer to this. Was there an Irish language spoken in Ireland before they spoke English. So yes, words like Banshee or Shamrock, they have their origins in Irish. And Irish was the Celtic language also known as Gaelic. Okay, so that's still spoken in parts of Ireland known as the Gaeltac. But most recognisable Irish words that you will find in English have obvious connections to Ireland. But there are some that I think will surprise you. And um, I'm going to start with one because it's very close to your heart, being a minister from this party of old, Tory. Oh. Yes. Tory is a really roundabout story that that leads from Ireland to the nickname of, I guess, now the party in government, the Tory party, because it's apparently, now you can tell me how to spell this with your ancestry. It's because I get, I have to say, big disclaimer here. I often get lovely emails, but teasing emails from countdown viewers saying your Irish is appalling. And it is because I don't know how to pronounce these words properly, having never properly studied the Irish language, which is a big uh, omission on my part. So it's apparently a respelling of the Irish Torreid, which is T-O-R-A-I-D-H-E. And they were bandits. So they were Irish bandits originally. You're not going to like where this is going. And the word was picked up and used for outlaws as far afield as, I mean, India even and Scotland. So a Torreid was a was an outlaw. It was somebody who who existed outside the confines of the law. And then during something called the exclusion crisis of the 17th century, those who wanted to disinherit the Catholic heir to the British throne, who were Whigs or exclusionists, used Tory as a disparaging nickname for their opponents. And then as so often, a word that's used against a particular group of people then gets picked up by that group of people and embraced and then switched and repurposed. And then they decided to use it of themselves. It's a bit like the Cavaliers and the Roundheads. They both, they both emer- they began as insults towards each other and they thought, oh, I quite like that. Well, I never knew that. So yeah. Tory, Tory is, is an actually Irish an word. Irish word. I know one that I okay. think is extraordinary. See if you know this already. I think I'm right in saying that clock, as in the clock that tells you the time, uh. is originally an Irish word. I think it can be traced through Dutch, French, medieval Latin, right the way Clush. back yeah. to the Celtic word klagan mm-hmm. or klaka, both meaning bell. Do you think that's possible? Well, yes, it, it's definitely all to do with bells. So a cloche hat looks like a bell. Ah. Uh, cloche and clock are siblings, and clocks, of course, had bells attached. Cloak also, because cloaks were bell-shaped. Um, so lots of unlikely siblings from clock, and it definitely does go back to a bell. Um, if it comes from Irish, then that's brilliant. Here's a much more modern one that I thought was American but turns out to be Irish. Dig. Not as in, you know, digging up, uh, digging Mm. your grave, but as in, I dig this, I get this, I understand this, Mm. to dig something. I appreciate, I understand, you know, it's widely accepted now uh, as having come from the Irish language. I thought it was just like an American slang expression, specifically from the Irish verb twig, T-U-I-G, meaning to understand. Yes, 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 I have heard that twig on, yes. 
I have definitely heard that. And it's very often for linguists, there are what we call cognates. So that means a sort of sister or brother or, you know, some member of the same family that you will then get in other languages. And it's quite tricky to determine exactly, you know, from centuries ago, which came first and, and um, you know, which was the kind of the Ur ancestor of everything. Quite often it goes back to the ancient language known as Proto-Indo-European. And then, you know, that's quite, you just say, oh, it goes back to sure. that ancient language. Um Something came to my oh yes the dick this is going completely off point but we quite like our little ramblings on this on this podcast but dicks as in accommodation do you know where that comes from oh that's not Irish diggings where you dig yes. yourself in to diggings. sleep the night and do you know where they originated no uh, during the California gold rush where people prospectors fled to California obviously to um, try and be part of this they didn't flee they discovery. rushed well they rushed exactly and basically. Towns, entire towns had to be dug up around the mines to cater for the, the miners, to give them entertainment, food, accommodation, etc. And it's from those diggings that we get the idea of. It's a bit old fashioned now. It's a Carnaby Street ring to it, doesn't it? The digs. I want to talk My about digs. whiskey galore. Oh, First whiskey, of all, yes. explain Water to me of life. why whiskey in Scottish is without an E. And whiskey mm. in Irish is with an E. Have I got it the right way around? Yeah, I think, I, I, to, to be honest, they're just variants of each other. You'll find those variants throughout the world when they're talking about whiskey. So I, Just because sure. there was no standard orthography yes. until the 18th century. Well, yes. I mean, and dialect, etc. plays a role too. Though I mean, Irish whiskey is, still... is always with an E and Scots whiskey is always without an E. Are you a whiskey aficionado? No. Okay. I, I don't drink alcohol, never did. Oh, no, you don't but drink. I said whiskey galore because that was a wonderful film based on a wonderful novel by Compton Mackenzie. Galore is directly That's taken from Irish. a Gaelic... Yeah, Isn't it? exactly, yes. a Gaelic yes. phrase. Uh, Go-lear, spelt G-O, new word, L-E-O-R, which translates as till plenty. Galore, plenty. Nice, I like that. Yeah. What about trousers? We've talked before about all the euphemisms oh, for trousers on trousers. here, haven't we? Do you remember? Inexpressibles? Oh, yes, Do you remember this? Yes. Well... That was in Victorian times when the word trousers could not be used. And they came up with all these amazing euphemisms, roundy houses, sit-upons, inexpressibles. But trousers itself is um, a borrowing of the Irish and Scottish Gaelic, now again, accent, a pronunciation, apologies, trubas, I think, T-R-I-U-B-H-A-S. Our listeners will be laughing their heads off at that, but please let me know how you should pronounce it. But yes, T R I U B H A S. And what did they? What did that word mean? And it meant a single Gaelic. leg at that point, which is why we talk about a pair of trousers because it was originally a single oh. leg that was attached by a kind of breeches type garment at the top. Um, so yes, two single legs that you would attach to a sort of girdle. Men too. Um, so yeah, that's trousers for you. Slob is another one. Slob. Yes. Uh, that seems to come from the Irish slab, which actually first meant mud, but then uh, developed the kind of sense of a lazy, slovenly person. We're all slobs sometimes. But yeah, I like, I like galore. Uh, that's nice on puss as well, because pussy galore is what I immediately thought of when you said galore, because I'm listening to Martin Jarvis's and Ros Eyre's fantastic dramatisations of James the James Bond uh, novels. Oh, they're marvellous. They are they? amazing. You know pussy that... galore is in 
Uh, um, Martin Jarvis told me that one of the things that they have to do with these Ian Fleming, they've taken, I think they've done a lot of them, yes. the Ian Fleming novels, and they have the young Stevens uh, plays. Toby. Toby Stevens plays James Bond. Yes. And, and is wonderful. And Martin Jarvis, I think, does the adaptations himself from the novels. Yes. Uh, and they have to really work on the political correctness now because these of novels course. written in the Although, 1950s are full of sexism uh, and occasional casual racism. But they've kept, but because of course, you have to keep words, names like pussy galore. I mean, there's still a fair amount of sexism in there, I have to say. But with our modern hats on, we kind of could judge them in different ways, I suppose. Go, go, into, um, go into puss? But puss, yes. Not the synonym for cat or the term for parts of your body, but it comes from the Irish puss, P-U-S. And it travelled very quickly to the US, so we actually owe... Well, actually, do we use that for a face anymore? I'm not yes, sure. Yes, look at the puss on you. Look oh, at really? the puss on her. Oh, yes, people do say that. Oh, be careful with that last one. Okay. <laughs> Well, that's what, we have yeah. sourpuss and gamapuss. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Shut your gob. Gob? Shut your... <laughs> is that Irish gob? Well, apparently gob is Irish. I mean, oh. the English adopted gob, it, it's, it's one of our expressions for the word mouth, isn't it? But apparently it comes from the Gaelic word for beak, mm. as, in, as in a bird's beak. So, and it's got the same meaning in Scottish Gaelic. I think Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic and Irish Gaelic are related in some way, aren't they? Yes, they absolutely are. Um, it's fascinating, this. I'm just looking here to see which other Irish loanwords came into English. Because, of course, during the, the, the apex of kind of Irish imports was during the 19th century, I think, which was mass emigration and Irish immigrants streamed to the UK and to um, North America. And they took, of course, their vocabularies with them, which is how things then spread around the world. I think I've discovered the oldest expression now in the English language to come from Gaelic originally, beyond the pale. Oh, yes. It's used, obviously, to describe people's outrageous behaviour. And I believe it originated in Ireland way back in the 14th century Mm. because the The pale was Mm. the area of Ireland under heavy British control even then. Yes. And people living in areas outside of this were considered wild and outlandish. They were beyond the pale. Yes. Is that an urban myth or is that... Well, no. Pale actually existed before the Irish pale, but it was probably the Irish pale that kind of popularised the expression. But um, yes, it's linked to palisade and palisade. So it's it's meant to stick a palum in Latin, a stick. So these were the, the boundaries, really, as you say, beyond which... The heathens, which of course comes from people who lived on the heath, the peasants, they were over there where everything had gone to the dogs. That's another expression that kind of, you know, that came from that axis of people who are urbane and live in urban environments and those who are um, peasants and live beyond. Gone to the dogs, they mean with they live with the wild dogs? They live with the wild dogs, yes. So things were thrown to the dogs, the, such as, yes, the wildness, the kind of um, the feral people who kind of lived beyond there with the with the canine inhabitants. Oh, there's so many more words to celebrate here on St. Patrick's Day. Boycott, brogues, but we better take a break first. Shall we have some whiskey, a wee dram of whiskey? I'm not a whiskey fan. No, not am I. But if we did, <laughs> it would be with an E. Okay. Irish whiskey for us today. Susie, please, can you tell me what wanderlust means? Well, it comes from German and it means a strong desire to travel. And Jazz, I know you love to tell anecdotes. So do you have a good travel story? I had an amazing time in Iceland. I went pony trekking and the person who was in charge of the pony trekking told me that in those days, on a Thursday evening, there was no television in Iceland because people were supposed to be at home 
reading books. Well, let me tell you about Explore Worldwide. They organise small group adventures that are led by local tour leaders so that you can fully immerse yourself in local knowledge whilst exploring a new country. The most important part of the holiday is respecting local culture and environment. And Explore can help you find expert tour leaders that can get you off the beaten track and into the heart of your adventure. Whether it's a food and wine tour in the hilltop towns of Tuscany or a walking tour in the rice fields of Vietnam, Explore take care of everything, putting the quality of their local tour leaders front and centre so you'll truly understand the wow factor of where you are. If you're thinking about your next adventure, head to exploreworldwide.co.uk to find out more. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The Seven from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The Seven every weekday. So follow The Seven right now. Also from something else. Mel Gedroich is... Quilting. Listen to Mel and good friend Andy Bush as they learn a great new skill and tell some brilliant stories, all whilst having some good, wholesome fun. In a nutshell, I took a pair of scissors and I went into my husband's wardrobe. Now, this comes from a shirt that I bought him that I know he doesn't like. So I'm testing him by... (laughs) Uh, uh, This is brilliant. Yeah, by finding out... When he discovers Amazing. that the shirt has got a big patch out of the back of it. Wow, and which area of the shirt is this taken from? Bottom right. Okay. <laughs> Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast apps. Welcome back. This is our St. Patrick's Day celebration of language, particularly language that has an Irish origin. You'll be relieved to know that neither Susie nor I are attempting to do it in our Irish accents. I used to know when I was an MP the Reverend Ian Paisley, who was a much milder and more delightful person in the flesh than sometimes he appeared when you saw him on television. And when I was with him, I used to sort of develop a sort of Irish accent. So I began, you talk with Dr. Paisley and you all, you become all a bit like that. But I know that one should not do that sort of thing now. So I avoid it uh, <laughs> like the plague. People Just talk like- about Paisleyites. Um, people sometimes actually had such reservations about Dr. Paisley, they would boycott him. Mm. Boycott is a word Irish in origin, isn't it? What is the origin yes, of boycott? it is. So this is an eponym. And it goes back to Charles Cunningham Boycott, who worked as a land agent for a landowner in um, County Mayo, um, essentially. So this is looking back to the towards the middle of the 19th century. There was a group of activists called the Irish National Land League. And they, quite understandably, in response to evictions from the state, all sorts of kind of measures to reduce money and to um, increase rents. Uh, So the landowner was trying to impose quite hefty hikes uh, on rents from the people who who work from him. The Irish National Land League just basically encouraged the workers to withdraw their labour and begin this campaign of ostracism, essentially, towards 
boycott who was representing the landowner. And it included, I mean, it was fairly drastic. So it included shops so that boycott and his family couldn't actually get any food. Um, I think he had to send his wife and daughters away because you know, things become became incre- incredibly hard. But the word really was propelled into the mainstream by a letter that Boycott wrote to um, the Times. And he essentially talked about his predicament and the Times saw it as a kind of victimisation of a, you know, a peer of the realm or a servant of the peer of the realm. And so there were two very, very kind of extreme views coexisting here. And you can actually see the sides of both of them, really. You know, one who was really suffering and could see his family suffering because he couldn't get anything done. He couldn't find any food. And the others, because literally they were living on the breadline. So really tricky. But that was what gave us the word boycott today. And it's amazing. It's endured for, you know, almost two centuries now. Names are interesting. A lot of Irish people have names beginning with M-A-C, as in, oh, there was a wonderful actor who I knew called Michael McLearmore. That wasn't his real name at all. He didn't come from Ireland. He invented himself as a great Irish phenomenon. Oh, is that Macklemore for us? Uh, uh, and he he called himself Michael, Michael spelt in a funny way, and McLearmore. But Mac is a, a prefix meaning, does it mean son of or grandson of? Yes, it's patronymic, isn't it? So I think it means son of, Mac. And O means grandson of, as in O'Grady, O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. Uh, O'Halloran. Yeah, but not O'Murphy. No. No. There's Murphy and there's Kelly, isn't there? Uh, quite popular surnames. One talks about an accent as a brogue. He's got an Irish brogue, a strong Irish brogue. It also, of course, brogues are shoes. And I think brogue is a word of Irish origin mm. because the perforations in brogues, well, brogue, the Irish word, perforations allowed for drainage of rain and bog water. And they were generally worn for everyday use rather than on special occasions. Mm-hmm. Those were your brogues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the brogue, the fashion shoes that are brogues, comes directly from the Irish word for shoe, brogue. Yes. And if you've got a distinct brogue, distinct accent, then we think that comes from the typical patter of people who wore brogues. You know, if you say, oh, he's got a distinct Irish brogue. Yes. Yes. We think that that sense of brogue is linked to the shoe sense of brogue because the wearers of those shoes were the ones who delivered the patter. If you are Irish and listening to this and think, God, these people are talking a lot of cobblers. <laughs> Which I think uh, we are today. Please feel free to get in touch and tell us that or indeed put any queries our way and we'll do our best to do some research and give you the answers. You can communicate with us, purple at something else.com. Have we had any... I have yes? just decided, as mm-hmm. I get older, I've decided that when I don't know the answer to something... I just there's no point in waffling, although probably listeners will say today I've been waffling. But I have to say this is not a subject that I know masses about. And I'm so embarrassed by that fact that I'm actually going to go and prep a lot about this for um, maybe for the next season of Countdown, because I think it's a fascinating subject. Or indeed for our podcast a year from now on St. Patrick's Day next year. I'll bring the gen. If we survive that long. I will. Chloe Debuzi has written to us. Dear Susie, dear Giles, first let me tell you how much I enjoy your podcast being a logophile myself. This morning, 4am, I couldn't sleep and thought of a word game to play. Mm -hmm. I don't know if Giles has mentioned it yet. Apologies if you have. I was trying to come up with words with the most number of the same letter in it, going alphabetically. Oh, it's, oh I love the idea of this game. A, abracadabra. abracadabra. Yeah, a magic. Has that been a magic spell for a long time? Yes, centuries. And it was um, 
uh, it was always portrayed in a kind of triangular shape. So it was yes. ah, and then abba, and then it would always kind of go, go like that. And it became a sort of talisman that you would wear to ward off evil. Abracadabra. My, oh, people of my generation, izzy wizzy, let's get busy. That was our, <laughs> that was our magic phrase. Okay. Uh, B. Can you think of a word with more than one B in it? Um, oh, yes. B. Bubble. Bubble. She's come up with baobab. Oh, the three Bs. The What's baobab? It's a tree. Oh, is it? It's a baobab tree. tree. Mm. I like her, her one for C. Cockrow. Oh, that's good. That's good. Would cockroaches be even Chuckle. more? No. Doddled for D. Mm-hmm. Four with, oh, this is wonderful. Uh, oh, I love. She's got four E's in her next word. Four, a word with four E's in it. Um, this is so good. Wee wee. <laughs> wee wee. Actually, okay. she does this at four in the morning. I have to say, if I got down to that, I'd be needing to get up at uh, four in the morning. Uh, I like in, kerfuffle for the next one. Oh, did, oh kerfuffle. That's mm. quite good. Riff raff. Yes. Uh, is not a bad one. Anyway, it's a fun game to play. And if you do um, suffer from insomnia and wake at four in the morning, you can listen to one to one of these podcasts uh, or you can play a game like that. Thank you very much, Chloe, who got in touch from France. Oh, fantastic. I've got something from Eleanor. I'm not sure where Eleanor comes from, but she's a long-time listener, first-time caller, she says. <laughs> um, one of her favourite phrases is to get the raw end of the stick or the more common version, she believes, is to get the wrong end of the stick. Do we know where this comes from? Well, there is a story isn't there do you know this about in roman times that basically um in public urinals and public loos which incidentally used to have the most filthy graffiti um mm. on their walls but anyway there would be a sponge essentially at the end of a stick uh, with which you would wipe your wherewithal and so the story goes if you actually picked up the wrong end then um yeah you'd get stuff all over your hands not very nice. Definitely need hand gel for that one. Um, so that's one story, which I think is very unlikely, but it is quite colourful. I think the idea is simply that, yes, if you get the muddy end of the stick or worse, uh, of any stick that you might pick up on a country lane, then then you picked up the wrong one. I think it's a very simple metaphor, but you might prefer the Roman version. Somebody called Jerry has written to ask about who or whom, when we should use the mm. word who, when you should use the word whom. He, Jerry, believes that you use who when you are referring to the subject of a clause and whom when you are referring to the object. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes, pretty much, actually. Uh, So the person to whom I lent my book and to is the preposition and whom is the object of that preposition. So, yes, that is broadly correct. I've got a book called... People don't tend to stick to it these days. Yeah, that's the trouble. I've got a tip tip from a book called Grammar Girl's uh, Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing, and it's to use the word him as a a test. If you could answer the question with him, it needs to be whom. Do you get it? Well, because you wouldn't say the person to him I lent my book. Or I guess they're not... if it's him, if the answer is him, I lent it to him. Oh, I see the answer. Oh, yes, OK. That's quite a clever way That's of doing it. Neat. Yeah. You know, my, my son, Bennett, he's written a children's uh, story because he's got some young children in which there is a very sophisticated grammarian who is the owl in the oh, story whose who's cry is, to wit, to whom? <laughs> That's brilliant. Oh, I love that. Um, uh, oh, oh, Susie, we, we can't go. We can't leave St. Patrick's Day without three of your words, your trio. And they don't need to be Irish. No. OK. Um, no, they're probably not going to be Irish, actually, which is a, a bit of an omission. No, um, but and we're, that's inclusive. One thing. we're inclusive. We are inclusive, but it would be great to hear 
our listeners' favourite Irish words, wouldn't it? So please do send them in. Um, We'd love to hear them. Well, this is just something. I never knew there was a word for this, but I have discovered there is a half pace. What a half pace is? No, what is a half pace? A half pace is a landing, but not any old landing. It's a small landing at the top of a set of stairs where you have to turn and take another flight of stairs up so oh. it's not it's not a landing that you would kind of you know dither or linger on a half it's just pace. it's a half pace i really that's like that good. yes that's your half pace my next one is uh well i thought because you know things around us aren't absolutely fantastic at the moment the world is not in the best place is it i thought i'd give you some of my favorite words just to um indulge in a little bit riparian I like riparian. Riparian means by the bank of a stream where you might gongoozle and find tranquility. Oh, speaking of gongoozle, Mm. that's a word (laughs) in our mug. Yes. We have a mug. We should have mentioned this the other day when we were doing our special programme about branding. Yes. We have a something rhymes with purple mug. Yes. And it's got on the it's got all our branding on the outside, but inside it's got the word gongoozle. With the definition when you've finished your tea, it tells you what a what a gongoozle is. And how do they get hold of it? Purple.backstreetmerch.com. I think that's it. Purple.backstreetmerch.com. Sounds as if it's someplace in Soho, doesn't it? Yeah. Get to backstreetmerch.com. <laughs> anyway, so that yeah. was your second word. That was What's my your second. Third? My last one is, you know, as I say, we we find ourselves in a slightly sticky situation in the world at the moment but this is a nice way of putting it it's an imbroglio just because it sounds beautiful and is that how you pronounce it it's spelled imbroglio isn't it, is. it? it and, but is. is that not correct it's a complicated situation imbroglio it's italian imbroglio imbroglio yes i-m-b-r-o-g-l-i-o and what does it mean it means it can mean a sort of fisticuff type situation but generally just a complicated knotty situation the world is in an imbroglio yes the world is in a terrible state of chassis that's a line from the great Sean O'Casey. Oh, OK. Uh, a wonderful Irish playwright. My quotation of the week is from another great Irish playwright, George Bernard Shaw, who lived into his 90s, was a remarkable man. He was photographed up a tree, still pruning the tree in his 90s. In amazing. fact, I think he fell off the ladder, which caused his death. But by then, he had written all those amazing plays. Really? And he was is that a, how he died? Yeah, as a result of... Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah oh, in his 90s. Nice way to go. Uh, good man, a vegetarian. Proof that you can live into your 90s, even as a vegetarian. And he also, sometimes people say to me, Giles, what are this playing around with Susie on a weekly basis, just chatting about words? And I say, actually, we like to be, you know, childlike now and again. Not childish, necessarily. Well, I can be a bit childish. She's never childish. But it's a good thing to play. And this is a line, my quote of the week is from George Bernard Shaw. We don't stop playing because we grow old. We grow old because we stopped playing. Yeah, absolutely. That's it for this week. Join us again next Tuesday or at any time. If you enjoyed it, give us a nice review. Recommend us to a friend. If you've got a question you want to get in touch, purple at somethingelse.com. Something rhymes with purple. That's us. It's a Something Else production produced by Lawrence Bassett with additional production from Paul Smith. We love him. Steve Ackerman, Grace Laker and Gully. That was my line. Shut your gob. <laughs>